Roto Grinders presents your first word in daily fantasy sports. The Morning Grind, Stevie TPFL and Company are here to jumpstart your analysis on today's DFS slate. Without further ado, here's your host, Stephen Young. Hey everyone, welcome to the Roto Grinders Morning Grind podcast. I'm your host, Stevie TPFL. It's Tuesday, it's October 1st, it's 2019, and I'm joined by my good buddy, Genie for 07, Grant. How are you doing, my friend? Doing pretty great. Just got done recording the early week pod, and now I'm doing this. Didn't lose money on the showdown slate, which is always good enough. Um, yeah, yeah, life's good. I, I, I'm going to have my first legit day off this, you know, I guess it's going to be October. I didn't have a single day off in September. And now I've got my first day off in October. So I, I lost money on the showdown slate. Um, I had a $700 swing on that Boswell field goal. <laughs> it's like, you know, it would have been, I would have made a couple hundred bucks, but still cares. It, you know, it's just one of those things. I, I had like enough Samuels too. It's just that that last field goal did it in, did not play a lot of the kickers. So anyway, we are – Sponsored by FantasyDraft.com. If you haven't checked them out, make sure you head on over to Fantasy Draft. Check them out. Uh, use the promo code or go to the Roto-Grinders website and sign up to the Roto-Grinders links. That way you get three months of Roto-Grinders premium for Fantasy Draft. They do have rake-free DFS. So if you haven't checked them out, um, head on over there. Check them out. Save some money and take advantage of it. Um, they lowered the contest this week. It's a $500,000 tournament for the Hooters, Hooters main event. Uh, $28 buy-in, you know, you're playing a, a, against seven, what is it? 17,000, 17,000 people. First place is still $70,000. It's still pretty flat payout structure. So if you haven't checked them out, um, one of the best tournaments and it'd be interesting to see if they overlay this week, um, with 500,000, but, uh, they have big double ups. They have three entry max, $300 tournaments. I would still love to see them get like a twenty dollar uh, three entry max, and but they have a uh, single entry stuff, so a bunch of stuff going on over there on Fantasy Draft. If you haven't checked them out, um, give them a look. So today we are doing a mailbag podcast. I, I love these podcasts. Never really get to do these because we're always you know got sports in session and we're we're talking sports. We're gonna talk hockey tomorrow. We'll talk football Thursday and Friday. So it's always fun to do these types of podcasts, uh, open it up to you guys, the listeners, and, um, you know, just let you guys answer any kind of questions. We had, you know, 30 or 40 questions come in. Um, we might not get to all of them, but we're going to get to most of them. But one of the things that we got asked a ton was to go over the showdown slate for baseball. So that's where we're going to start. We're going to start at the baseball game and then um, just, you know, go over these questions and, really have some fun with this podcast today like we had some fast food questions which are you know grant those are gonna be fun to talk about um so it's just one of those podcasts so more of a entertain entertainment podcast than anything else you know listen to it you know enjoy it and um as always we appreciate you guys listening it's been a fantastic baseball season and um you know we'll start with this baseball slate we got the it is the wild card for the NL. It's the Brewers. It's the Nationals. Seven and a half total. Nationals are the favorite in this one. Um, 
let's start with the captain spot. You and I had already kind of talked about this um, uh, off air. And I, me personally, there's only one way to build over there on DraftKings, and it's Max Scherzer in the captain spot. I think that's probably the right move. Um, I don't know if it's a requirement, but, I mean, let's be honest here. This is baseball. Still anything can happen. And Scherzer is a guy that gives up home runs. I mean, look at his last two starts. Gave up two home runs in each. At one point, I think he actually led the league in home runs given up. Um, It's still something that he can do. I think that it's a decent strategy to roll with, like, one to two bats, even if you have Scherzer in the spot or captain spot, one to two bats on the opposing side to make a different team. Um, Only power bats, clearly. So, like, go with Hira is a decent one. Um, I mean, it's hard to see when we don't know exactly what the lineups are going to be, but Moustakas, Hira, both those guys, or Grandall, even, like, one or two guys that can hit a bomb off of you because that's really what you're looking for against Scherzer here. Um, But, yeah, Scherzer in the captain's spot, I think, is the right way to go. Yeah, and it's not that hard to build. Um, there are some cheap bats, and there's some cheap options to make it work where you can get Scherzer in there. Um, one of the cheap guys that I like, just because the Brewers probably going to use like five pitchers in this game, if not more. Uh, Josh Hader is 3K. There, at some point, he's coming into the game if it's close or even if it's not close, right? Like you have to expect Josh Hader is going to tow the mound here for one or two innings, and he's 3K. He frees up everything if you have Max Scherzer in the captain spot. Yeah, and you have to realize, like, these one-game playoffs, I don't think they start the next series for two days, maybe three. Two or three days, yeah. They get a yeah. couple days. Yeah, and, I mean, this is win or go home, regardless of how close the game is. Like, even if they're losing by five, they're going to throw in their best bullpen arms. Like, it's yep. pretty much a guarantee. So, I really like that hater call. Like, it's a win or go home, so no matter what they're using. Like, they, the score could be 10-1. to 1 and Milwaukee could be up 10-1, to 1, and they are still probably throwing in Hayter for a few innings there. And Woodruff, yeah, he's probably not going to go that late into the game. Look at what he's done over the last few games, 38 pitches, 37 pitches. So he might go further than that, especially if he's dealing, but not too much further. So I really like using, like, the best Milwaukee bullpen arms. Yeah, I'm all for it um, because you're going to have to try to fit these guys in. Um, whoever you play a captain, like, you're going to fit them in. I'm not against playing Woodruff. Um, I am kind of iffy on it just because of his price. But the thing is, like, your pitchers are guaranteed points. So, like, when we're looking at these showdown baseball slates, like, pitchers have been the the way to go when it's good pitching. So, I don't hate the idea of playing Woodruff, Scherzer, and Hayter and getting some bats from either side of the game. But if you do do that, if you do play Scherzer and Woodruff, it's just going to get very expensive and you're going to have to, you know, find another punt or another relief pitcher that you feel like is going to come into this game. So um, the other thing that I thought was kind of interesting here is I'm sure Washington is going to have like some of these starting pitchers on layaway. um, But, you know, you can kind of, go through and see none of them really stand out price wise. So like, that's why I'm just, it's all in on Scherzer here for me. Um, let's talk bats. Um, let's start with Milwaukee. You kind of already talked about it. Hera, Moustakis, Grandal. You're, you're looking for home runs on Milwaukee, right? Like you're looking for guys that are just going to hit home runs here. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. That's it. It's, it's, it's the power guys. And that's what I'm looking for. And I don't, again, if Scherzer is in my captain spot, the way you can do it because the chance of Scherzer being the highest scoring guy is 
fairly likely. So going with one or two bats that could potentially hit home runs because can also come against the bullpen here. It's not the worst idea in the world. And so, yeah, it, it's really just Grandal, Moustakas here, and maybe Thames uh, for me. Any of those guys that can hit the ball at the ballpark. Yeah, the the home run guys for sure. And then, you know, going to the Washington side, you know you're going to get righties and lefties, you know, out of the bullpen. Anybody at the bottom of either one of these orders has pinch hit risk here on either side. It doesn't matter. Um, so, like, you know, that's something that you have to think about when you're going into this type of slate. But if I had to look at my favorite bat, it's it's probably Rendon. Like, he's the guy that I, I think that you pay up for here because it doesn't matter if it's lefties or righties. He's good against both sides of the plate. He has one of the best contact rates on either of these teams. Like, he's the guy that I feel like I'm going to get points from. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm right there with you. Um, and Tim and Soto's not a bad play either. Um, yeah, we don't know who's going to be coming out of the bullpen there. So Soto, we don't know if he'll be facing a righty or a lefty at any given point in the game. Uh, the fact that, like, Eaton's two spots above him, maybe we're more likely to get a lefty. But, yeah, it's Rendon and Soto are my top options. But any of the guys that can hit a bomb, Suzuki, Zimmerman, whoever's in the lineup there that has some power, obviously a good play. Yeah, none of the real cheap guys that I expect. I don't expect any of these, like, 4K guys to be in the lineup. Um, maybe, like, a Hernan Perez or somebody. But I don't really expect any of the 4K hitters to be in there. And that's another reason that I like Josh Hader, uh, just because he's 3K. And I, I, you have to think he's going to come in. Like, you just have to think he's going to get innings here. Um, even if it's one inning, like, he goes out and puts up six or six to nine points in one inning, he's, he's probably going to outscore – a bunch of the hitters on the slate. So uh, there it is. We talked baseball. Like, you know, there's, there's not, you know, we're going to have to see what the lineups look like as they come out. They're probably going to be pretty standard lineups. Um, I don't really expect anything crazy from either side here. And, you know, you're probably going to have to take a cheap bat and a cheap pitcher to kind of make everything work. But um, I'm willing to do that just because I feel like Scherzer is going to be the raw points guy and, I feel like it's going to be uber contrarian if you don't have Scherzer in your captain spot. So there's that too. Yeah. All right. Let's have some fun. Let's have some questions that we asked all day today. Um, we had questions in discord. If you are RG premium member, utilize discord. Um, it's one of the best things here when you're using premium for either sport, baseball or football. Now NHL is coming up, but um Take advantage of Discord. It's awesome. You get access to all of us right there. Um, as a new DFS player, this is, we're going we're to start with some fire here. As a new DFS player, can you just talk general bankroll management? Now, I am a massive tournament player outside of NASCAR. Um, you tend to play cash games, and you play tournaments as well, but you tend to play a lot more cash games than me. I'm going to let you start with your bankroll management theory, and I'm sure I'm going to agree with a lot of it, even though I don't follow a ton of it. <laughs> yeah, so the bankroll management theory is essentially diversifying between different sides of tournaments. Um, you want to, like, if you're, you don't want to, if you're doing bankroll management as a new guy, you don't want to be playing massive tournaments. Like, if you are going to play massive tournaments, then, like, enter the $1, $150 entry max tournaments. Like, that's if you're going to play a whole bunch of high volume or a whole bunch of different lineups. But the better move is to play, like, not only cash, or if you don't want to play cash at all, then you can play, like, 10-man tournaments and then 200-man tournaments. And the biggest thing right now is going to be looking for 
the big tournaments you do play, you should be playing on fantasy draft first because their tournament tends to overlay. And even if it doesn't, no matter what, it's break free. So if you're going to play tournaments, look for the right tournaments with the least amount of break. And then even cash games, every single weekend on one side or another, there's a cash game that tends to overlay at least a little bit. And so you look for those for the cash games, like tournament selection, if you're not playing a massive volume of money, is bigger than almost knowing stuff. Like you can be an average player and still make money by playing overlay. And so look for that. But bankroll management, generally, you're going to want to not have more than football, let's say 20% of your overall bankroll out there. And if you are going to go with a high amount of your percentage of bankroll, play different sites, play as many different sites as you can, knowing that different players will be better plays on some sites than others. And so you can diversify your player pool and decrease the amount of total volatility that you actually have. Yeah. And like, you know, if you're a conservative, if you're doing this for a hobby, if you don't want to really take your game to the next level, like, Playing like five to ten percent of your bankroll is a lot. Like, just do that. Like, make sure you set aside an amount, um, whether it be a thousand dollars, five hundred bucks. Set aside of a set aside an amount um, and use that as your bankroll. Like, if you're going to keep depositing, then your bankroll is not what you set aside. So, um, if this is a hobby to you and you just enjoy the research part of it and building lineups part of it and you're not chasing those big paydays play those single entry play those three entry max play cash games like it's still fun when you win cash games even though you're not making a ton of money if you're winning double ups and you're doubling your money that's going to help you um in the long run build a bankroll and you know, just have fun with it like you know not everybody's playing ten thousand dollars plus a weekend you know enjoy it like if you're playing a hundred dollars a weekend figure out which game selection is best to play that hundred dollars, whether it's play $25 on four sites or $50 on two sites or a hundred dollars on one site. Like just figure out which one you want to play. Um, I always find it for football, at least playing on more sites is more fun to me just because roster construction is so different on most sites that football, I find where I play more sites than like a, than like a baseball but um, yeah, just at the end of the day, bankroll management is important, you know, especially if you don't like a slate, like if you're not feeling a slate, you don't have to play what you played the week before that or the week before that, even if you're coming off of a winning week. So I think that's something that people get caught up in as well. They're like, we only have 17 weeks of football and I got to play the same amount of bankroll the whole time. Well, that's not true at all. Like if you don't like a slate, if something's not standing out to you and you, you don't have a Philip Lindsay play, like, you know, play less, take, take a week off, you know, don't, don't piss away your money. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of staying on, on football, this question is kind of what we're talking about. Um, so I play these a lot and I, I definitely have some strategy that I like to use. Um, we get a lot of 150 entry talk. This person is interested in like talking more of like a 20 entry max. And I don't know, do you play 20 entry max tournaments? Is that something that you touch on? Uh, I don't, I'm one of the few people that doesn't play that drastically difference between one entry, three entry, 20 entry, 150 entry max. I kind of like in GBPs, I'm generally going off the board. So it doesn't really matter the size of the tournament. I'm still going fairly off the board. 
Yeah, so I, you know, like, I play a lot of 20-entry mechs for baseball, basketball, football, NASCAR. And usually my player pool is where I make a huge change from, like, 100 or 100 to 150 lineups to 20-entry max. Like, I usually won't play, like, more than, like, three or four quarterbacks. I'll, I'll focus on those game stacks. Um, that That's kind of how I feel. Like, if you're playing a 20-entry max tournament, like – Everybody has 20 entries, so if you're spreading out everything in those 20 entries to try to cover everything, you're probably not going to have one or two teams that do well and, like, kind of defeats the purpose, in my opinion. So I play where I'm going to I'm gonna do those game stacks, those three or four quarterbacks that I play, play my core running backs and wide receivers and just kind of build around that. Yeah, like that strategy. Yeah, like, it makes sense, right? Like, if you're playing a 20-inch 20, 20 max, you don't want to have, like, 10 quarterbacks and have two teams – or two teams with each quarterback. Like, I just feel like you're spreading yourself so thin at that point. Yeah. Um, let's see. How is the NFL turning into a complete joke with penalties and some of the worst coaching ever? How – I don't know how much of the Bengals game you watched because I know you're recording the early week pod, but – why is Cincy running the ball in the fourth quarter down three touchdowns? Well, coaching is so bad because, <laughs> well, there, here's the reasons why. Some coaches, like, I think at this point, like, the reason why we're seeing such high point spreads on games are certain coaches may actually be trying to tank to a certain extent. Um, so that could be part of it. I'm not sure if that's true. But the other part is, like, the NFL, because of changes in rules over the last few years, trying to make it safer – it has become a drastically different game than it was years. So obviously passing has become more important. Run is less important. Defense is less important. So coaches that refuse to adapt or are unable to adapt are no longer viable in the NFL. I've talked about this before. And the perfect example was McCoy put coaching for the Cardinals last year. And he had zero ability to adapt to not like just David Johnson like zero ability to adapt to David Johnson in the receiving game and doing anything but running up the middle 25 times a game. He sees a good running back. They knows running has won it with him in the past. So he's going to run the ball with his running back. Who's not adept to actually running up the middle constantly. And so certain coaches are unable to adapt to today's age and they essentially just get out of the league and you have to find new guys that are able to coach and, a lot of these guys that are coming up are pretty much the same. That's why we see guys succeed that are really young, like Sean McVay, because they're able to change the way they do things. And so that, that's kind of my take on why it's trash right now with coaching. I, I completely agree. I think the penalties have gotten to the point where they're, they're getting to the point where these referees need to be examined. Like there was a pass interference call that was challenged and I, the challenge was dumb. Like, you're not you're not winning a pass interference challenge right now unless it is like clear as day um uh, you know it's something that we've definitely noticed so far but i don't know I, the coaching has been terrible in the nfl and you know i hate it uh, i think the product if you're just watching red zone every week like you're not seeing how bad the nfl product is right now like i, I go back and i watch the games on um fast forward with nfl rewind and it's just the product is, is really bad right now. So, um, so here, here's the thing. Both of you and I both have had um, success qualifying for live finals. And this next question is, 
explain the difference in a strategy for a qualifier satellite versus just a regular tournament. Now, do you approach a qualifier or a satellite any different or do you play it as a tournament, you know, just top, very top heavy? Yeah. I mean, that's essentially what you play it as a even top heavier tournament. And it depends on the size of the satellite or the qualifier, but essentially you have to change the way that you approach lineups with ownership based on the size of the tournament and the top heavy payout and extremely top heavy ones, which qualifiers are the perfect example of it. You have to go off the board. You're looking for guys that are going to be really low owned. you're looking for game stacks that are going to be really low owned because people are still going to play their chalky plays. They're probably going to throw the cash game lineups into qualifiers too. They're going to not go as off the board as they should. And you get a massive advantage knowing that essentially second place in a qualifier that only has one ticket is not quite worthless, but, the difference between first and second is so drastically different that it makes it no point in trying to shoot for second. Right. No, if you're playing, if you're playing qualifiers and you're, you're trying to win a live final, like you're playing to beat everybody else and finish first, like the, the old first is first or last argument comes into play for sure. Um, you know, one of the basketball finals I qualified, I, I played Drummond. And he, I was the only person in a thousand-person tournament with Drummond that night, because he was in a tough, really, he was in the toughest matchup, and he was the highest-priced center on the slate. Doing stuff like that, like playing guys that still have the ability to have monster games and tough matchups, and we we kind of saw this this weekend with Tampa up against LA, like people that won big money this weekend targeted a tough defense with with an offense that has explosive players. Like it, it goes for every sport. It's not just football. It's not just basketball. It's not just baseball. Every sport, if you're trying to win a, a top-heavy tournament, playing elite players in tough spots, are they're always going to be lower-owned. And, and, like, think about this, Grant. Like, we go into – I don't even know who they're playing next week. We go into next week, and after the world just watched Cincy stink on Monday Arizona, Night Arizona, this is not a good example. Bad example. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we just talked about this. Oh, Last hour. That's that's the worst example, but terrible example. Exa- but <laughs> the perfect example was Tennessee after they went up against Jacksonville and they get there a matchup versus Arizona or Atlanta. Atlanta's a terrible defense. Everyone saw a Thursday night football game. Are going to overreact to how badly they are, even though they're on a few days rest. That's the perfect example. Yeah, yeah. I Arizona. <laughs> oh man, Kyler Murray was terrible. Maybe we get him lower on, but. <laughs> Yeah, people aren't going to pay up for him at 6.1K. But, yeah, he's going up against Cincinnati. So, like, yeah, just elite, uh, good players, high-volume players in, in any sport, in basketball, football, really, in tougher matchups, I feel like, are good ways to attack. Um, looking at projected ownership, who's standing out to you? Who's 1% to 5% owned that you feel like has the ability to have monster games? So, I hope that answers the satellite question. I don't approach it too differently than I approach regular tournaments, to be honest. Um, let's see. We had a couple more football questions, and then we had some fun questions, and we'll mix those in. Um, thinking about a strategy of targeting two to three games every Sunday for NFL and just game stacking those games, is there any merit to that strategy? Absolutely. There's absolutely merit to that, figuring out the best game stacks. Game stacks are generally something that take down in tournament. We saw this last week, Tampa Bay versus the Rams. You have Godwin with Cup and Woods and Goff. You're likely to take down a tournament. And so just figuring out the ancillary pieces in that lineup that fit in. Um, 
that's the way you're going to end up taking down a millimaker or any big tournament generally. Like if it's a big enough tournament, that's a smart move to just go with those three game stacks. Hope those goes off. Especially if you've got a lower owned one, you can get it a whole bunch of different ways while throwing in some chop pieces. Yeah. Um, I guess I wonder if he's saying like, I'm going to play 150 lineups with two or three game stacks. Like I don't hate that idea. Um, it's not something that I would do. Like that's where I would use the 20 entry max. If, like 20 entry max, two or three game stacks and just load up on it. Like I, I could see doing that. Yeah. It's not a bad idea either. I don't think I'd do it with 150 teams though. I, I, I mean, get... depends on how much of your total bankrolls in play on that one tournament. Right, maybe it's the mini max or something, and you're just doing it to build 150 teams. But yeah, it all depends on a lot of the stuff we've already talked about. But me personally, I don't think I would do that on 150 teams. But I certainly would do it. I kind of already talked about it with the 20 inch max. Yeah. Uh, so I I opened this up to any kind of question that we were going to get. Half point PPR. <laughs> Running backs he has are Carson, Le'Veon Bell, and Delvin Cook. Should I trade Carson for Montgomery and Brandon Cooks or Waller? My tight ends are OJ and Ebron. Wide receivers are Metcalf, Diggs, Robinson, Tate, Allison, Beasley. Uh, I wouldn't do that trade. Montgomery might give you a little bit of depth um, that you're losing with Carson, but it's not going to be significant amount enough where you're really just relying on one bye week for both or Bellar had his bye week, one bye week for Cook. And then the increase at wide receiver, like Cook is a good, or Cooks is a good wide receiver, but I don't know. I mean, Carson, he's getting the full-on workload. I don't know if it's a flex league or not, half-point PPR. Carson's still going to be the guy the rest of the season. I don't think Penny's going to take away too much from him, and he's going to give you a consistent pour. So if he is your flex spot guy, then I wouldn't do that. Um, but if he's not your flex spot guy, then there is some validity to it. Yeah, the other thing, like, as well, like, Diggs is going to get traded before the end of the trade deadline, I would guess. Um, so, like, he probably might end up in a better situation. DK is not bad. A-Rob is your main guy. We'll, we'll see what happens with Tate this weekend, joining the, the, the roster with the Giants. So, I don't think I'd do that trade either. So, um, and he asked, should he drop Jared Goff for Jacoby Brissett? No. 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 Um, all right. So that was that. We had some fun questions. Let's go to those. Is there a location you'd like to see for a live final that has never been hosted? I mean, there is a lot of fun cities, and you have to keep in mind that certain ones are not viable because of state restrictions on fantasy sports. I think that Austin would probably be a pretty fun one that we haven't done. Uh, I can't remember if Louisiana, I feel like, has fantasy sports now. Um, so New Orleans could be an absolute blast. Uh, Boston could be a fun one, although I think they have had live finals there before. Uh, outside of that, I mean, pretty much every major city has been done. I mean, I know they've done Chicago, Denver, like all those other ones. So, and obviously Florida and New York and all the warm weather cities, but yeah, I mean, that, that's pretty much it. They've done all the other good ones. So I feel like New Orleans... If, if they aren't restricted, I can't remember off the top of my head, would be a great one. I would – something in the mountains. Like, let's go snowboarding, play some DFS. Denver. Yeah, like, that would be fun for me. Like, but 
so that that would be fun. But yeah, I like the Austin call. I don't know if they've been there's been a live final there, but um, I like that they've moved down to like the Florida area, you know, where it's cold other everywhere else, especially for football. So, um, better hamburger, Dave's single or quarter pounder Royale with cheese. I don't know why he didn't go with a Big Mac there, but I, I'm going with a quarter pounder with cheese. I'm not really a huge fan of Wendy's burgers, but I haven't had a whole lot because all I ever do is get their nuggets because they're so darn good. But currently, Wendy's has one of the best deals in the business. It's four bucks for six nuggets, fries, a drink, and a Dave single. Um, I know it's because my brother's gotten it three times in the last week because it's such a good deal. I don't like the fact that Wendy's changed their barbecue sauce, though. Like, I uh, love their barbecue sauce. It was so good. I almost never used it. I, I I do something weird, and I dip my nuggets in my Frosty. It's delicious. Nuggets in your Frosty. See, I'll do French fries in my Frosty. That's what everyone says, but their nuggets are so much breading and not that much chicken where it's delicious. All right. Now, I'm going to have to try this out. Like, do you have a favorite, um, like, condiment? Um, from any like fast food place? Uh, it's Chick Fil A's Polynesian sauce. All right, so followed Chick-fil-A. by FLG sauce from KFC, Cane's dipping sauce, and then there's another one that I'm missing off the top of my head that I absolutely love. Oh, Sweet Heat from Popeyes. Their Sweet Heat sauce is fantastic. See, I don't eat a lot of Popeyes. I don't like their chicken. Um, I do love Chick Fil A's Chick Fil A sauce. I dip my fries in that. It's so good. You know, all that really is is just barbecue sauce with mustard. Yes, I did know that. And that's probably why I like it so much. (laughs) Um, We're going to stay on the food topic here. Beef ribs or pork ribs? Uh, Pork ribs. You go with baby back pork ribs. The most tender. They are a little bit leaner, which is something I generally don't like. But I pretty much like all ribs. Pork or baby back ribs, spare ribs. Love beef ribs. I like them all. But my favorite is probably baby back ribs just because comes from the back it's a little bit more tender and i like my ribs a little bit more off them yeah i'm actually having ribs tomorrow night or today Lucky if you're listening to this podcast on tuesday um yeah public had a deal on ribs so it's all about the ribs tomorrow like we do these crock pot ribs too where they just cook in the crock pot you don't have to do anything to them outside of just put seasoning on them so and that makes them super tender oh yeah super good because you can cook them as long as you want not really overcook them unless you know you don't know what you're doing so um favorite soda i'm not really a huge soda guy but uh baja blast mountain dew or actually no never mind orange cream soda henry weinhardt's orange cream soda is just amazing listen we did open this up to whatever people wanted to ask so um mine right now like i i go through like i don't drink a lot of soda like i i hadn't had a soda for like two months uh before my wife gave birth to our son and like I've been drinking soda again because I need caffeine. I just I'm not sleeping at all right now. So right now I'm back on the um, Coke Coke vanilla orange. Um, I like it. Tastes like a creamsicle, and I love creamsicles. They're delicious. Do you ever get orange cream soda? Because it's fantastic. I do like orange cream soda, but like I just I like the taste of this. It tastes like a creamsicle in your mouth. It's delicious. I like it. I like it um so here this one i thought this one was funny um if there was two things that you could eat every day for a month what would it be i mean pizza is the very obvious number one choice considering but do so you have to classify it though would it be just one type of pizza like 
I mean, like pepperoni, cheese, like yeah, one type of pizza. It can't just I be mean, pizza. You can eat pizza, pizza every day with like pepperoni pizza, and then we kind of have to specify which place it is. Which, um, like honestly, just going with Red Baron's frozen pizza are the ones that I'm least likely to get sick of over the course of a month. But like chain restaurants, there's not many that really like their pizza. I mean, Domino's is probably doing it best right now, but it would be pizza, or specifically pepperoni pizza. And then burritos, like just carne asada burritos, most likely Chipotle, um, considering I have lived an entire month off of just Chipotle and pizza and one time strictly off of mac and cheese and ramen just because I was poor for a month in college. I could do Chipotle every day. Like, and I could do the same thing from Chipotle every day, like a steak bowl with extra rice, hot sauce, corn salsa, hot salsa, like done. Do you know what the the Chipotle hack is that I figured out in college? You get a bowl, and then you get two tortillas on the side, and you just get double everything. And then you create two tortillas yourself, throw one in the fridge, and boom, all you paid for was a uh, double meat, which you don't even have to necessarily go to. Every once in a while, you can sweet talk them into giving you double meat for free. Or you actually go half chicken, half steak, and they give you a larger portion overall. Yeah, I um I order mine and they bring it to my house. So like I have a Chipotle like four minutes from my house. So yeah, worst yeah. place ever to get a Chipotle. But it would be tacos and, and pizza for me as well. Like those are the obvious. Like I love tacos. I could eat tacos every day. I could eat the same type of tacos every day with the same stuff on them every day. Like I'm all about some tacos. Um and then like pizza, I don't know, like if it was one meal a day, I'd probably do like a meat lover's pizza. <laughs> like, you know, you gotta, you gotta get all would, those meats. Yeah. The salt would kind of get to you over a long enough portion of time and it becomes too heavy. But realistically, if you ordered a meat lover's pizza, you always take off the extra meat, which would be crazy. But if you're eating it every single day, like you get more toppings because you can pick off the ones you want in this question. There's a loophole for you. Yeah. Um, all right, that, that, those were all the food questions. Um, somebody asked, "Do you um, do you brush your teeth in alcohol?" Uh, he was referring to the um, song by Kesha, where she every morning she wakes up and brushes her teeth with a bottle of Jack, and when she leaves the night, she's in fact not coming back, and she has. See, a pet you would know this. You probably listen to that song all the time. Oh yeah, I have. I think the entirety of the song memorized. Um. All right, so we had a couple more questions about normal stuff. We'll answer those, and then we'll probably get out of here. Um, favorite stat for NBA? I mean, it's just pace. Like, that's the most important one. You want to know the pace of the opposing team and the pace of the home team, how that changes from home court to away. Um, that's realistically more important than anything else. It's kind of the most important thing in football that people overlook. Uh that's why I always target teams against the Cardinals because they will, will play at a fast pace. Um, but it's pace is the most important. I'm not going to disagree with you. I look at pace in NBA a lot more than I look at a lot of stuff, but I think usage is important. Um, that's you know. probably number two. And that's more important to individual players. But for yeah. GBPs, you're looking at game stacks with high pace games. And not even that, like, I, like, pace is important to me and then um pace 
usage and fantasy points per minute. Like if you're if you're if you're playing 40 minutes a night and you're averaging a half fantasy point a minute, like I'm probably not going to want to play you. So fantasy points per minute, usage and pace and like that's it's like 75% of the research for me. Yeah, I mean that's you could realistically just look at those and then Vegas totals and still probably do all right in DFS. Yeah, rotations and all that stuff. Like all that stuff's important. Um I've gotten to the point where, like, I don't look at matchups as much as I used to because I feel like good players are going to do well in good matchups or in good or bad matchups as long as they have the high usage and stuff. Like, how many locked down defenders do we have in NBA now? Like, it's definitely the league has changed a lot in the last three to five years. Yeah. Um. Can you go into detail about building cash lineups and what it what is safe to take a risk and cheap plays to put in them? It's tough. I don't build I, I normal cash this. lineups. Yeah, I'll yeah. let you take it because I don't build normal cash lineups. So when you're looking at uh, low price guys, it's volume. Like with cash game volumes, pretty much the guys you are willing to take a shot on are going to be guys with high volume. That's why Gallman was pretty much a cash game lock over on DK last week is because he was getting the entirety of the volume in tournaments. It's why I was using guys like uh, Washington wide receivers where I knew they'd have a high volume of targets in each and every single game because um, of the la- – or in this game because of the lack of depth. It didn't work out well, but it's where I was willing to take a shot on Trey Quinn or even Inman, the fact that he stepped into the offense and he has in the past gotten a high volume of targets when he's the number two guy there. Um so when you're taking a shot on someone, it's almost entirely volume. Uh, quarterbacks are a little bit of a different scenario. Sometimes some of them are too cheap, and quarterbacks tend to regress towards the mean unless you're Patrick Mahomes in any given matchup. So even a stone-cold minimum guy or a guy close to minimum like this next week, I could see it as a possibility using Chase Daniels or Joe Flacco in cash because of their drastic price savings and the lack of depth in the lower range for quarterbacks. So – that's kind of where it goes. It's more about volume than anything and taking a shot with anyone in cash who's a low price tag. You can tell who's already looked at football this week and who has not. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Like for me, uh, obviously like Gallman, Disley, cheap guys that you know the volume's going to be there and good matchups are always good cash game plays. Um, cheap quarterbacks are never a bad way to go, but like, if you play cash games and you pay up for Mahomes, like you know your guaranteed points at that position. So, depending on the week, depending on the value, um, but volume is the most important thing for me in cash games. Like that's why I play McCaffrey a lot in cash. Um, that's why when you get that email from DraftKings and it tells you who your highest player was played last year, mine was McCaffrey, and it didn't even shock me one whatsoever. Um, so, you know, I, I volume. Floor, safety, you know, paying up a running back I think is always kind of important most of the yeah. time. That that kind of goes back to volume. Like yeah. wide receivers, their volume is so volatile in any given week because they're only touching the ball max mostly is 10 times. They'll get – very rarely do they get 10 plus targets. But, yeah, that speaks back to McCaffrey, a guy who's in the game for every single snap and has a high volume of targets and a high volume of touches. So – yeah, yeah, that's why you pay up at running back is goes back to what we were just saying, volume. Volume is important. Um there was one more question and we'll get out of here. I was 
I've had the wrong screen up. Uh, ways to differentiate yourself from the field to win a, a GPP on a one-game slate. Um, I have not had the best showdowns this year. And, like, Deontay Johnson was one of my favorite plays. Like, we talked about him yesterday on the podcast. I had told you guys he was one of my favorite plays. And, like, I have not been able to get the right combos. But one-game slates are – a lot of people are going to have a lot of the same players. And fading one of those high-owned players, like – that's how you could potentially get an edge on everybody else. Yeah, because in any given matchup, Kirsten McCaffrey two weeks ago had 6.6 points, and he was basically a stone-cold lock for everyone up against the – was it the Titans? No. It was the it was the Buccaneers. So just not playing him is a great way to differentiate yourself because if he doesn't go off for a big game, then he's a guy that – like everyone else owns, and you have a massive edge. Also, the other way, especially in football, is taking a shot on low-priced guys that have a potential for a touchdown. We saw in the show get on slate with Jacksonville where O'Shaughnessy had a touchdown there, and he didn't really do too much else, but at his low price tag, it was a way that he paid off. And then guys that are not are not the lead back, for instance, Jalen Samuel today was a guy that you absolutely could go with. With Philly, we had Jordan Howard who went off, and he was a guy that wasn't considered the lead back. So these – NFL teams, almost all of them nowadays, outside of the very extreme extent in Carolina, um, are splitting touches between guys. And any given day, some guy can snake a touchdown as opposed to running back on low volume. And wide receivers, the third string wide receiver that doesn't get a whole lot of usage. If they're a guy like Seth Roberts was three years ago, for instance, getting a lot of red zone work at low to minimum price on the showdown slate has potential for a touchdown or two touchdowns in any given game. Yeah, like – I feel like backup running backs, Giovanni Bernard, you know, Samuels, like they're going to likely get points more than like a fourth string wide receiver. So I think that backup running backs are a great way to be different. Um, Being different in your captain spot, knowing the strategy that's going to work using the captain spot the right way, hardly ever play a captain quarterback. So, um, So, yeah, like, I think the best way, and we saw it today, um, not just today, but, like, we played a ton of Jordan Howard. We talked about him last week in the showdown slate on the podcast. So, you know, just being different that way. So, backup running backs are usually my favorite way to be different on a one-game slate. And, again, like, everything that we've talked about, like, throughout this whole, you know, mailbag questions, however however you want to say it, like, a lot of it comes down to ownership and how can I be different than the field and, and playing guys in tough matchups that are elite players. Like, you know, that I feel like that's what we always come back to. Yeah. Yeah. So for the most part, anyway, Grant, any final thoughts on uh, anything, any, any questions that you're disappointed that we didn't get and you want to answer anyway? I mean, I thought I was going to get more fast food questions because my breadth of knowledge in fast food is almost as extensive as, my DFS knowledge. What's your jam right now, though? Like, what? What do you? What do you? I guess you just said it was Wendy's, right? No, no, that's my brother's, and I mean that's just more for the affordability. But we're, it's a place called Good Times out here. Um, that's the way to go. But like, one of the best things on a menu, Taco Bell always rolls out these ridiculous concoctions that are almost certainly going to give you diabetes. And right now, the uh, what is it? Toasted cheddar chalupa box for five bucks with two tacos and a drink is just absolutely amazing. It's just, if you want to make it even worse, you just add some nacho cheese on top. 
Oh man, it sounds like a heart attack waiting to happen. The worst was when they had the naked chicken chalupa, which was a chalupa shell, and I get cheesy gordita crunch and put it inside of it. So it's essentially fried chicken with flour and cheese and crunchy shell and beef and cheese. And I'd always add some ridiculously fatty sauce and then have heartburn the rest of the night and regret no none of my decisions. So, like, I have a place that's local to me. It's um, If you're ever into land, Florida, um, it's called Village Cafe, and they have a bacon mushroom cheeseburger, and, like, that's my jam. They make it fresh. It's my jam. Like, right now, their fries are amazing. Like, that's my jam right now. I don't get how places screw up fries so badly. I mean... Wendy screws up fries a lot. Like, you always substitute the fries for a baked potato or chili. Oh, yeah, and baked potato and chili is fantastic at Wendy's. Yeah, you don't do fries at Wendy's. You don't do fries at Burger King. Like McDonald's has the best fries outside of maybe Chick Fil A's waffle. Fries. Oh, Chick Fil A crushes them in the fry game. My my, like McDonald's fries are good, but Chick Fil A fries are the best. I mean, the Checkers I, Checkers fries are good too. Really, I don't I don't know if I've ever actually been to Checkers, which is surprising because in my cross country road trips, I generally stop at any fast food place that I have been to before. The last one was Bojangles. Surprisingly good, decent cheese curds. Yeah, Bojangles is decent. It just depends on the day you get it. Like they, we used to have a bunch of them down here, and Chick Fil A like crushed them out of business down here. So I see them a lot in like South Carolina when I'm traveling. But uh, when we travel like through Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, there's a restaurant called Cookout. Oh gosh, I love Cookout. Yeah, they also have one over in Nashville uh, for next time you go up there. Yeah, the hot dogs, corn dogs are good. Pretty much everything on the menu is good. And it's very affordably priced. I'm sure we'll get them nationally soon enough. I'm super excited. And now it's coming to Denver um, within the next year. Oh, man, I haven't had in and out in so long. I think the, the first time I met you when we were out at a live final in L.A., um, wherever we were out in California, that that was like the last time I had in and out I love in and out Oh, gosh. You are, so. you are missing out. They have them over in Texas, Arizona. Next time you go to Vegas, um, don't go to the one on Strip. That's the busiest one in the country. You go to the one out of a UNLV that's about a mile away, and they generally have drastically shorter lines. You get all kinds of tips on the podcast today. So <laughs> we're going to get out of here. We'll be talking NHL tomorrow with JMB, uh, one of the resident hockey guys here at Roto Grinders. We're going to talk some strategy. We're going to talk the four game opening night on Wednesday. We'll be and then football on Thursday and Friday. Uh, probably do a lot of questions on Friday um, about the NFL slate. So if you guys have questions about the NFL slate, feel free to send them along. I'll save them and we'll answer them on Friday. So that's going to wrap it up here for Tuesday. Welcome to October. Enjoy MLB playoffs, NFL regular season, and basketball is right around the corner. So good luck in your contest for the baseball, and we'll see you guys tomorrow. Tickets.